Hello, this is Penn Gillette. If I were to actually listen to the Liberal Cube podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I could potentially enjoy it. The Libra Cube. That is a podcast we haven't heard yet. Might be good, might be terrible. The Libro Cube Podcast with host Jordan Maywood. All right, here we go. This comes to us from our good friend Jordan Maywood. You call hamburger steamed ham. Yes. Hello, welcome to the LibroCube. Uh, my name is Jordan Maywood and I am the Lackadaisical LibroCube list. The show is what is a journey. Why talk like this? I don't know. So I'm going to stop. Uh, this podcast is one in which I talk about all the media I have consumed because I fear, although it is not a strong fear, that if I do not do so... It will sit up in the dusty attic of my brain and slowly drive me insane. It is a pressure release valve, if you will, and I hope you will, for media consumption. Because who in life, in my actual IRL, as the kids say, wants to hear me talk about all the books and TVs and video games I play? I could just sit someone down, strap them to a chair enforce them to hear me talk of these things but that wouldn't be fair to them and then there's the whole uh what's the, what's what's the thing called where uh, uh at first you kidnap someone and then they they hate you because you know kidnapping's not very nice but then eventually they start to uh, uh side with you a bit it's called the oh god something syndrome you know what's fun on a podcast? Hearing a person try to uh, figure out a word, right? <laughs> Let's not do that. Let's instead push this button that will start uh, a sound for a segment of the podcast. And I bet you at some point, I feel like it's going to hit me something syndrome. No, no. Okay, I'll push the button and maybe it'll happen. Maybe it will be the triggering something in my mind button despite the fact that it's this movie monologue on this button movie monologue today's movie monologue sponsor is the headless centaur bar and grill thank you for that sponsorship i uh, just have two movies for you today the first of which is sleepy hollow ah that movie with johnny depp from what year i can't see 1999 oh it was a good year 1999 i think i don't really remember ichabod crane is sent to sleepy hollow to investigate the decapitations of three people with the culprit being the legendary apparition the headless horseman yeah, uh, this is the type of movie that uh, in the 90s existed, <laughs> and I'm not quite sure why. Uh, it also fits into the category of movies for some reason I knew the misses uh, would have had a fondness for back in the day, and I was correct in that assumption because... When uh, we saw it on, uh, I believe we watched it on Amazon Prime, uh, she's like, yeah, let's watch that one. And uh, I, I had seen it, my memories of it are vague, and despite having recently watched it again, uh, I have a feeling in a year or two, the memories will continue to vagify, which is not a word, but it should be. Uh, yeah, and nothing really stands out of this uh, movie. Rating-wise, I'd probably go with two. Uh, it just doesn't really do anything for me. Uh, Johnny Depp in it is good for the reason that he's a little weird. Um, and if you are at all familiar with the fictional character of Ichabod Crane, I think he does a, a fine job of this sort of scared dude thrown into this weird situation. And then it's a period piece, which, uh, you know, I, I feel like period pieces are don't really tickle something in my mind that uh, I, I enjoy necessarily. Like, uh, I don't... I, I never seek them out. Uh, Christina Ricci, she's in there as well. She's good. Jeffrey Jones, yeah, okay, that's uh, something. Uh, <laughs> Christopher Walken is the 
uh, uh, headless horseman, and he's got really sharp teeth for some reason. I don't really know why, but he does. Um, basically, uh, if you have any desire to know the story of the Headless Horseman, there's a, I, I think it's actually just called the Headless Horseman. There was an old, and I believe it was Disney, I could be wrong, uh, uh, and I think it might have been a short, not a full uh, film, um, that you could watch and probably would have a better time if, if, if you're curious of this story, which is, you know, it's just sort of an interesting story, um, just for the fact alone that it's been around for so long, so, you know. There's that. Moving on to a Batman animated film, Batman colon Hush. An, ad an adaptation of the Batman Hush storyline by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so uh, I watch, I'm fairly certain, every single Batman animated thing that has ever come out. And I always very much enjoy them. Uh, this one is no exception. Uh, however, you can hear the hesitancy in my voice because it is not my favorite, uh, by any means. Um, uh, yeah, uh, okay, so let me just do rating before I forget. Uh, like, I'll, I'll go a solid 3.5, and if you've listened to me over the years talk of Batman animated things on this podcast, you will know traditionally they're closer to 5 than anything because I very much uh, love Batman related animated stuff. It's, it's usually always very, very good. Uh, and this one was fine, but um, it, it just didn't pull me in. The, the story wasn't so interesting. Uh, the guy who did Batman, Jason O'Mara, I, I need Kevin Conroy, basically. That's, <laughs> that's one of my, one of my needs. Um, the story, uh, like like the the, the, the the bad guy, if you're unfamiliar with Batman animated things, usually it's going to be either one or a bunch of bad guys. And this one uh, did the cool thing of having one bad guy, sort of uh, like a new one, one you are not familiar with, probably. Uh, and, and then all the sort of classic ones there in, in there working with or for him kind of thing. So, this, so that was fun. That was fun. I, I like that. It, it's just... Uh, it was kind of meh. Meh. Alright, so let's move on to what is the next button? This one. Television talk. Today's Television Talk sponsor is Modern Family. Oh, well, thank you for that sponsorship. Oh, that's interesting because we're talking <gasps> Life in Pieces, season one to three. Yes, this is a television show. There are 79 episodes, uh, which I believe that's the fourth four seasons. I only watched the first three because they were available on Netflix here in Canada. Starring uh, Colin Hanks is probably the most known name, but uh, some of the others you might recognize as well. And I got to say, uh, if you have watched episodes of Modern Family and enjoyed it, the possibility of you enjoying this is very, very high because it is incredibly similar to the degree where it's kind of a, a bit of a ripoff. <laughs> so sometimes it feels very much. Uh, let me share with you the most blatant one. Um, uh, what is the guy's name? Where is it here? Uh, huh. Oh, J uh, James Brolin. James Brolin. Not Josh Brolin. James Brolin. Uh, he plays the, uh, uh Ed O'Neill role. <laughs> Very much so. To the degree where there's even an episode where he gets like a, uh, like a really cute dog uh, and enters this dog in like uh, pageants and stuff, and uh, despite being the super super tough tough guy, uh, he has the, the 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 cute little dog. Yeah, and and there's some focus on that. Exactly like Modern Family. That that's probably the most blatant one I could find. But there are so many similarities that if you enjoy one, you'll enjoy the other. Now that's not to say this is bad by any means. Means on that note. Jeez, I go like a solid four or five. Uh, lots and lots of funny moments. If anything, Life in Pieces potentially... Can I say this? Yeah, I think I can. Uh, I, I think it potentially will focus more often on darker things. Uh, or, or not necessarily that, just that the humor is a little darker from time to time, which I very much appreciate. 
Um, let me read the, the premise. The series chronicles the lives of three generations of the short family as they go about their daily lives in Los Angeles County. Each episode is told as four short stories, typically one for each of the three short family branches and one that ties the other three stories together, which is a very interesting way to do this telling and uh, I, I think they do it uh, very very well and I enjoy it and I recommend it hey how about that let's push another button <clears throat> game Gavin. Today's game, Gavin sponsor, is the McConaughey Bookshelf. Thank you for that sponsorship. Okay, very exciting game, Gavin, uh, for me anyways. Uh, just last weekend started a new D&D campaign. This is one in which I am the DM, or Dungeon Master, if you prefer. Uh, yeah, I'm calling it the Sliders Campaign for reasons which will become obvious. And uh, uh, we did uh, session zero uh, and, and dipped our toe into the story a bit. So I'm sort of calling that a session 0 0.5. If you're unfamiliar with these terms, uh, we play D&D. &D. Uh, this is not a must, but uh, it's something I highly recommend. Uh, you meet with the players first and sort of discuss some of the rules just, uh, b because they can be different from campaign to campaign. Discuss... Um, um, maybe uh, uh, some story things, uh, discuss their characters, get them fully set up. It, it's, it's sort of a way to get a feel for each other, the players and the DM and the story, uh, without the need to hop right into the story without knowing anything. It, 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 many things can be covered in this. Uh, I have spoken of it before. Uh, if you go over to my YouTube channel, The Alphabetical DM, uh, I, I know, I don't know if it's posted by this point, but it will at some point. I, I talk of session zero and post my session zero notes even. So you can really uh, delve deep in that if that is something that interests you. Um, and then we also uh, delve a little bit into the story. What I like to do, uh, and I, I think I've done this a couple of times now, um, first session is a combination of these two things so that when session one the official first play session comes you have a lot of the bones of the story uh in place so that i don't have to just dump all that uh, lore on the players uh it, it's sort of done it's it, it's out of the way uh we can progress with the the game with the story having a a good setup in place and it's sort of done and out of the way uh just like I did a lot of talking that session, whereas in, in further ones, uh, in session one, it'll be more of the players building the story where I have the, the groundwork laid, if you will. I feel like I've said, if you will, minimum three times that I can think of. Maybe more. Okay, so um, I'm going to read it my session 0 0.5 recap, as I do all recaps on this thing but uh it's very very long so i think what i'll probably do is eventually slip into just giving the gists of things okay uh and, and that was the other thing uh if you've listened to me do recaps uh from sessions on this before on this podcast which i do uh from time to time um this is a very long one because again we were setting up sort of the bones of the story so there's gonna by necessity be more than just a, a typical session Capiche, capiche. Uh, <clears throat> clearing throat. Gross. Uh, sliders, session 0 0.5 recap, colon, prologue, a.k.a. professional log. Although the exact circumstances of each of our adventures was suddenly different, there came a day in their lives that forever changed their destiny. Princess Clarissa Fairchild II human fairy tale princess, uh, was making the final preparations for a journey to travel among the common folk. Merle Macadamia, squirrel folk gloomstalker ranger, was traveling the forest in search of both his family and his nuts. Ira, sea elf blade singer wizard, 
was deep in his magical studies as his mentor advised him that this would be prudent if he wanted to keep up. Sophia Gorillo, Gorilla Path of the Wild Soul Barbarian, was doing quote-unquote gorilla things. So those are the four players. Uh, regardless of their origins, full backstories here, and uh, here I've placed a link to their backstories in the recap, uh, which maybe I'll read the backstories. Uh, they're, they're, there's some fun in there, obviously. You could tell by what the characters are. Uh, on this suspicious day, there was a moment the light and colors of the world around them seemed to take on a paler hue. When they returned to normal, each of them heard a piercing, ripping, shrieking, tearing sound coming closer and closer. In the distance, an explosion of black somehow caused a strange taste in their mouths. From the explosion, a bright green light streaked towards each of them with such incredible speed that they reflexively put their arms up to protect themselves. Um, here I did a thing, which I think I did uh, last campaign too. Uh, I asked the players, uh, like I, I just sort of said, put up one of your arms. Uh, uh, and then whichever arm they put up sort of instinctively, I made that their character's dominant hand. Huh? Just a dumb little thing, but kind of fun. Uh, when nothing happens and they open their eyes, they each immediately notice that affixed to their respective forearms is a green armband on which is the number 10, in whatever language the wearer primarily speaks. Then there is the number 9. It is not until the apparent countdown gets to the number 7 that they each realize they do not actually feel the armband attach itself. It simply feels as if a cool, calming breeze was blowing against their skin where the armband was firmly affixed. 6. With only 6 seconds remaining to whatever this countdown portends, they each have a reflexive moment to act. Um, if you're unfamiliar with D&D, uh, &D, six seconds is the time. Uh, you uh, It's called a turn. Um, usually just used for combat, but I wanted to give each of them uh, one thing, one action to do before whatever happened, happened. Uh, Princess Clarissa shrieks for her handmaiden. Merle gathers as many nuts as he is able. <laughs> I had him roll a d20 because I, you know, I thought he'd get a bunch of nuts. He only got two. Poor Merle. Uh, Ira covers the armband with a claw gauntlet. For him at least, out of sight is out of mind. <laughs> out of mind. Hiccup. Uh, all very telling responses to an incredibly stressful situation, as the countdown was apparently an indication they were all about to be pulled, not only from their lives, but from their dimension. Pulled into a dimension that is literally totally alien to them. Popping back into existence is a bit of a shock, no doubt, and the figure greeting them likely did not help alleviate this feeling. What does help is that the figure appears to be nervous himself and explains that should they wish to take advantage, there is a calming field that means it will allow them to, per, to suppress the perhaps natural desire to freak out but only if they wish to. It does not overpower feelings. It's just like a warm blanket that infuses them with a sense that things will be okay. Yeah, um, uh, this is something I sort of stressed in Session Zero that I like logic, even in crazy D&D, &D where uh, these magical characters are being pulled into an altered dimension. Uh, that's insane, obviously. And it would perhaps even be natural for their characters to be in the situation and freak out and start, you know, swinging at things. But uh, I obviously don't want that to happen. So I gave them the opportunity to use this calming field uh, as an excuse for why they don't have to do that. Why uh, something that might make sense for their character to do uh, is uh, not there if they don't want it to be. And, and, and it's not something I forced on them. There was no roles involved if they fought against it. Like a, a Princess Clarissa did scream, <laughs> which, you know, makes sense. Um, so it's just that sort of dumb logic that I like to put in things that are insane. <laughs> Anyways, uh, once a relative level of calmness and some short introductions have been made, Nadraj, Nadraj, that's the uh, figure before them, gathers his courage and explains the armbands have brought them all here to save all of existence, as you do. The long version of his explanation takes a little longer, of course. Nadraj 
is nervous and is somewhat obvious is obvious he has prepared the speech for the occasion <clears throat> this is Nadraj's speech he's going to be sort of the main npc of the campaign uh he's going to be at this hub um that they return to uh and you'll see what happens um uh, he says permeating all existence is randomness oh i should maybe do his voice if i can remember it permeating all existence uh, i can't remember his voice permeating all existence it was very similar to mine is randomness randomness is movement randomness is heat without the movement without the moving little bits that make up all things we would not exist eventually all we know all life would simply grind to a boring predictable halt uh, some of what Nadraj said is tinged with uh, with things those listening do not understand, like this general description of atoms and scientific theories like the ultimate heat death of the universe. My race has learned to measure, and in some cases harness, the power of this randomness. In fact, this is so inter connected with this randomness that we were the first to notice that it was waning when despite our incredibly long lives our species seemed to be fading away this fade will eventually doom my race but i believe if it can be stopped those who live in your dimension can be saved you will notice i said your dimension your matter uh the stuff that makes up everything yes yes has difficulty traveling between these two places i've spent a long time a very long time trying to find ways around this and in some cases like with the armband i've been partially successful without these devices you could not exist here as it is powered by the randomness i can tap into but it is made from matter from your dimension should you decide not to stay you simply have to take the armband off um yeah so basically i needed a way to explain why this sort of scientific alien looking thing he, he's, he's got you know uh, your typical giant headed uh, sort of pulsing with intelligence alien look um why he couldn't just give the people you know phasers and transporter technology and stuff like that to take back to the planes um so the, that's sort of why I did that it's explaining the reasoning for that um now searching for a person who could help i did not limit the armband to search only for those who were willing to help out of the goodness of their hearts so before i continue with the how i believe you can help would you all even be willing i will say that the existence i speak of would include your own so if a selfish reason will get the job done who am i to argue are you willing to even consider working together in this endeavor to save not only yourselves, but everyone you ever met and everyone who will ever exist for that matter? Um, the clear joy on Nadraj's face when Princess Clarissa, Ira, and Merle agreed to at least hear him out was only overshadowed by the fact that just as he was about to voice his joy an enormous gorilla with a purse popped into existence before this group with a literal popping sound uh, perhaps the sheer size of this figure explains why it took a little longer for the arm brand to bring Sophia Gorilla here, but she quickly settled in to hear the rest of Nadraj's diatribe with nary an eye blink but a nose twinge as she smelled the telltale aroma of a banana coming for Kara. Kara, short for Clarissa, apparently. We're going to have a, a short name for her because I like short names because they're easier. Um, yeah, so uh, the missus is this Sophia Gorillo, uh, based on Sophia Petrillo from Golden Girls, except, you know, is a gorilla. <laughs> Literally a gorilla. Uh, she, uh, if you listen to, uh, recaps of the balance campaign, uh, you will know, uh, the missus popped in, I think over the course of the whole campaign, two or three times. I can't quite remember, uh, like beginning once in the middle and once at the end sort of thing. And that is potentially what will happen here. I, it, it was nice to have her pop in for the story bones so she could just sort of hear some of this stuff and, and, and get, get what's going on basically. So um she will not be a regular player but uh, one who can pop in should she need it which is uh what we're going to explain next next actually <clears throat> uh 
Uh, er, uh, yes, this is actually a good example of what the armband is apparently capable of. As you will notice, I said I only created one. Apparently, somewhere along its travels, it appears to have split or cloned or birthed versions of itself. So I will admit I do not know if there are other versions out there still searching. Uh, yeah, so the uh, reason I did this is because of that crazy logic I like. Um, should new characters be joining, which I have two who are going to be joining, um, this will explain why um, they are able to do so. These armbands are out in the plains searching for those who can help. Um, should someone die and a new character needs to be introduced, this is the way I'll use it. Um, these armbands, who knows how many are out there, should uh, a character not be there for a session, um, the armbands will sort of pop them out of existence to go on their own little adventure. Uh, something I like to do when that happens is uh, just write like maybe a brief little paragraph or sentence or two for what they're up to um, when they're not here, and then when they come back, there'll be a role involved to see how successful they were, just so they don't miss out on, you know, 100% of the action. Anyways, uh, Nadraj gestures to the table, surrounded by chairs that, despite some paranoia from Merle, uh, melded comfortably to the various body, body types that sit upon them. An image appeared above the table, depicting the various planes, planes and Nadraj continues. Uh, this is a fairly accurate representation of all the planes that make up your dimension. Uh, and then I just put up on the screen, uh, the if you Google D&D planes, that image that you will see. <laughs> uh, now those armbands are very much more than just fashionable. They are made life's work. They have three functions. One, the first goal was to seek out any who even could help and bring them here. Check. Two, gather intel and coordinates from each of these planes by traveling to each with the person who bears it. Three, lastly, this data has all be compiled. Arm when this data once this data once this data has all be compiled, armbands can triangulate times a billion where this randomness leak originates, so that it can be quote unquote plugged. I want to give you all the information I have, and I think you can tell that a multiplane journey uh, such as this is unheard of, likely because it is both incredibly difficult to do as well as dangerous. An added difficulty is that the randomness that powers the jumps means I can tell which plane you will be headed to next, but not how long you will be in each plane or how far the exits back to this world will be. Oh, and the exits are not open for an infinite amount of time, I should mention, meaning you could potentially be trapped forever on one of these planes. Oh my. Uh, so calling this campaign Sliders, if you saw the television show of the same name, because um, they would travel to alternate Earths using this sort of method. Uh, and uh, I'm using that kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, um, but instead of alternate Earths, it's the different planes of existence that exist within the, the sort of D&D lore. Uh, Nadraj nervousness is palpable, 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 as he looks at the waiting faces of those gathered. His honesty means that he felt he had to explain the dangers, but also feared that doing so would scare any potential candidates away from his task. He was fortunate that, with the exception of Merle, most of the party seemed to be too dumb to fully grasp the dangers ahead. Yeah, uh, a lot of uh, the, the PCs have low intelligence, um, if you're, again, unfamiliar with D&D intelligence is one of your ability scores and we got some low ones here meaning we got some dunny dummies a uh, bunch of dummies wait did i say that out loud or er, uh, mm, <laughs> i'm going to have to get used to no longer being alone anyways so far it's been a lot of doom and gloom so i do want to also say that in between planes you'll come back here and have access to all the amenities that this hub has to offer in fact before you all make your final decision i can show you some of the things you have at your disposal in order to get this task accomplished uh then uh, yeah <laughs> then as nadraj apparently loves a good list he runs down the following just straight yes uh, so uh, th this part, I won't read everything. I'll, I'll just sort of, because it's just a list of the things that they have. 
Uh, uh, so number one is Nadraj's plane specific gifts. Okay, so what I've done here is because he has access to whatever plane the PCs are next going to, he's able to sort of pull matter from them uh, back to this dimension and sort of build things, craft things with it. So they'll always have some plane specific, just, just little items uh, to, uh, to go in with. So they're not going in, you know, 100% unprepared. Uh, uh, the number two is random door omatic shopping. Uh, yeah, this is cool. So, um, he needed matter from say the prime material plane, uh, in order to create things that can travel between planes. So, uh, what he did was basically gained the, uh, access, created a device that pulled storefronts to his dimension so uh, he pulls a lever and there's just sort of a generic storefront that uh, randomly cycles um, it's something I similar to what I used in the last campaign where uh, there, there's two columns there's a column for store type and there's a column for city level uh, this exists on the Don John randomizer uh, site uh, so when you pull this lever you roll on these two tables and the higher level of uh city the, the the cooler stuff you have potential to get so that, that sort of thing then i also did it where uh they can pay gold to remove some of the randomness and uh something i did here which i, I think worked out well I, like I, I try to use actual like science to explain some of this stuff stuff and, and i think i was fairly successful I'll tell you what audience participation if anyone wants to see my notes or uh, how I explained some of this dumb stuff, uh, I'll, I'll, I would uh, send them, post them, you know. Um, uh, next is the sick bay bed explanation. Yeah, so uh, they are all going to have their own quarters on this ship, uh, which actually I don't think they know it's a ship yet, which is kind of cool. Um, and I'm sort of using the TARDIS as an example of it's huge, and there's going to be areas of it that they don't know about. Uh, like, they have to sort of explore it to find, you know, like the, the pool, the Olympic-sized swimming pool, or, or like the library, or, or, or things of that nature. Anyways, uh, their beds um, will, when they sleep in them, uh, give them an extra hit die. You know, just sort of a cool little thing for these futuristic glowing beds. They also have the potential to cure disease um to do that though they need to get samples of the disease and bring it back and there's sort of a medicine checks involved so uh kind of cool um this is something uh, so far all these other things I already had planned but something i sort of added last minute was this idea um i call it the de decor scan hollow projector uh basically uh everything's sort of very sterile uh, stainless steel and, and, and kind of boring looking in their quarters however uh, if they are in a plane and see a cool, say, I'll just use the example of a bed, they, they see this amazing four-poster bed and it's just beautiful and something they would really like to have, they can use their armband to scan it and then upload that scan into their quarters hollow projector. And then when they go back, uh, they'll, they'll have that bed in, in their quarters. Just, just sort of a, uh, you know, sort of a dumb little thing. Um. But uh, it's, uh, I know when I play like Skyrim, I, I love building my home. So, you know, why not do it here? Uh, McConaughey bookshelf. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, I don't know if any of them got that. It's sort of a, maybe it's a deep reference now from Interstellar where he was sort of like trapped behind the bookshelf. Um, I have a list of a hundred books uh, and, and two will randomly appear on this bookshelf that they can read these books. And again, I used this last campaign, but, uh, I, I wanted to use it again. Uh, these books grants sort of interesting, strange abilities. So I did that. Uh, here's one I'm really proud of, uh, Nadraj's personality contraption or NPC for short. Uh, I wanted to have a NPC with them uh, on each of the planes. So what this contraption does is pulls a random, of course, a lot of randomness, uh, f uh, pulls a random personality from the next plane they're going to visit. 
and uh, sort of infuses this personality into a, a very lifelike golem that will take on the, the, the look and bearing and, of course, personality of whatever uh, is sort of injected into it. Um, now, I use NPCs very uh, loosely here in the sense that it's not going to be a like there's there could be worry that this is a dm npc or like a dm player like I, I my sort of rule for this is i'm not going to be playing this it's going to be along for the ride and should the players want him to do something they're going to have to ask like i'm not gonna uh, like it's there if i need it to maybe get some lore across because obviously these players um uh, these characters i should say yeah not the players but the characters are not going to know all of these planes like their lives uh just sort of existed in the prime material plane and they'll have no sort of frame of reference unless they studied every single plane and even them studying a plane is not going to give you every bit of information about it so it's going to be nice to have a npc who is uh, local to the plane along with them who can perhaps explain some of the, the the crazinesses that they come across that sort of thing so it, it's more just for that and um you know for fun as well because each npc will be plane specific and then uh, also quite often um will be uh, like a pop culture reference so for example the one that i'm thinking about off the top of my head is uh, saul goodman from uh, one of the planes that's very big into law and order. Uh, so uh, just just as a, as a dumb example. Uh, okay, with Nadraj's sizable list of stuff laid out, the three brave souls, press a gorilla that popped out of existence at some point. Yeah, the missus uh, lasted about an hour. <laughs> Not her bag of tea. Had a tough decision to make. Would they return to their lives with no knowledge of what transpired here not even knowing that all of existence hung in the balance they could likely live out their whole lives particularly short-lived merle before the effects of the drain were even noticed but no for whatever reason they each decided that this journey they were willing to go on uh, this was a destiny they would not ignore which was good because nadraj does not have a backup plan time to jump into the nitty gritty of planar travel uh, okay, so I'm going to leave that there as that was more session zero than session 0 0.5 uh, because we did hop into the first plane jump, but I'm going to save that for when I uh, do the session one recap. Basically what I did was um, everything up until we jumped and we're about to pop into existence in the first plane, uh, the players do know what the plane is and I'll let you know what it is. It's pandemonium. Ooh, that's, that's sort of... A, Sort of a creepy one. So uh, when I read the uh, session one recap, which uh, we're not playing for a bit, so it'll be a bit in terms of uh, podcast. Uh, you know what? On that note, um, when I play, I play every two weeks. So uh, that's in the Storm King's Thunder campaign. Uh, I, I had a lot of recaps because we played every two weeks, whereas my campaigns, we play every four to six weeks. So they're going to be more spread out capiche capiche and i said capiche twice this time for some reason let's push a button <laughs> Charlie, Charlie bit me. Today's internet intercourse sponsor is the Marinara Trench Deepest Dish Pizza. Thank you for that sponsorship. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I see this is already a long episode, but I knew that was going to happen with the, the, the first recap sort of out of the way. Because of my excitement makes it longer. <laughs> uh, unintentional boner joke there. My excitement makes it longer. Jesus. Conan O'Brien and David Letterman. Yeah, um, so uh, on uh, Conan's podcast, uh, 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 f what is it called again? Friend, uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, he had on David Letterman. 
And uh, with, I, I guess, that in mind, he posted on his uh, YouTube channel, on the Conehood Brian YouTube channel, uh, an interview from way back in the day. Uh, it must have been just shortly after Conan took over a uh, uh, late night show, uh, whatever it was called. Uh, so that was fun to see sort of the comparison of the two. Uh, the, the, these two late night show titans sort of sitting down on television uh, and, and doing it that way versus sitting it down on a podcast and uh, doing it that way. And I got to say, podcast, way, way better. Uh, and sort of a perfect emphasis of why I love podcasts. They could sit down and really get deep into the nitty gritty and take their time and just sort of sit in that uh, a, a delightful comedy interesting goodness and uh i bring it back here because that's what the internet intercourse segment is all uh, about uh, i'm going to try to speed through the rest of this episode a little bit just because i see we're at uh, 40 minutes and i feel like i'm losing my voice dnd beyond colon unearthed arcana yeah um uh, somewhat recently uh, uh, quite a bit what do we have we have the uh, uh, college of Eloquence, which is a, a bard college. We've got the Oath of Heroism for Paladin, uh, Lurker in the Deep for Warlock, Aberrant Mind Sorcerer, all sorts of good things, and they all post them on uh, D&D Beyond YouTube page. These are fun little, you know, uh, seven, eight, six minutes videos just uh, talking about uh, some of the uh, uh, new ideas that are percolating over there in D&D world. And uh, it's a delight, uh, not just for the reason that some of these things are cool to play, seemingly, but uh, if you are a DM, I can guarantee watching these videos will give you, <laughs> excuse me, ideas for your campaign. Not necessarily for uh, things you want to play, but for things you want to put into your world. So, uh, so it's sort of, sort of good idea... Uh, uh, brewing going on when whenever there's an unearthed arcana video um, posted so i bring it back here because you know if you just listen to that whole dnd recap the potential that you like dnd uh, means there's some crossover right right uh next we have binging with babish which uh, is a thing i've watched from time to time i don't subscribe uh, maybe i should because they're i do always enjoy them but this one was a chicago style pizza uh, like deep dish pizza from the daily show um I've never had deep dish pizza, but it does look good, and the and what's in it are things that I like, you know, cheese, meat, <laughs> deep. <laughs> uh, so you know, uh, and it was fun to see how to make one. Uh, it looks very complicated. I, I wish there was like I live in uh, about an hour and change or less, depending on traffic, uh, north of Toronto, uh, and I, I think Toronto. At least I've heard on pod, on App Podcast, uh, the best show. Apparently, we have horrible pizza here, which you know I'm not the biggest pizza fan in general, so that's that's fine. Uh, I, I don't know where I would go for a, a, a Chicago deep dish style pizza, but I but I do want to try it. Uh, so this sort of uh, reinforced that desire. Uh, the desire still is not enough that I would go through the complication that it seemingly is to make it. Maybe if you could buy the dough, that looked like the hardest part. Everything else just seemed to be like putting stuff in the in the dough. Just, you know, a crap ton of cheese. Man, there's a lot of cheese in that. Uh, and lastly, Architectural Digest $195 million Bel Air Estate. Yeah. Uh, so this was interesting. It was basically like, and I wonder if they do these for the Architectural Digest or... If it's like a, a sort of a realtor thing in case they need to sell this house, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of both. Like it, it sort of had that feel of uh, a realtor who's trying to sell this home, taking you about and trying to sell it to you, which, uh, you know, I, I'd rather focus maybe a little less on the on, on the, the that feeling as just the coolness of this building. Uh, and its grounds and, and, and its history, which I, I suppose, yeah, I did get into the history, but uh, it was just sort of cool to see this uh uh, this this estate this the, the this home uh, one thing i liked about it in particular and i think maybe why i brought it back here is because it was uh apparently the 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 the, the designer the architect uh really focused on symmetry 
which whenever I sort of, and I forget why I did this, uh, and it wasn't even that long ago. Like, uh, it was like, uh, I, I sort of designed my own dream home, uh, uh and, and things I would want in it. And it was just sort of a, a mental exercise, let's say, because it was fun to do. And it just sort of gets you into a, a different headspace The you know, what if I want a billion, if I, if I suddenly had a billion dollars and I could build the perfect home exactly how I wanted it. And then, and then I sort of laid out how I would want it to look and what I would want here and stuff like that. You know, just a fun thing to do. Why not do it for yourself? Uh, and, and mine, uh, one of the things I liked was, uh, or at least when I did on um, my design, that was sort of, uh, uh, mirrored here was the fact that everything was very like perfectly symmetrical and uh, something about that is very pleasing to me which I suppose is not too surprising for someone who likes list as much as I do folks normally this would be the end however I have something that very rarely happens I feel like and that is a little conversation cleanup <laughs> Yes, a bonus conversation cleanup thing. So, uh, from time to time, and it's uh, very rare, I will have something that doesn't fit into the movie monologue, television talk, book banter, game, gabbing, and internet intercourse. So, I've created a, a, a cleanup conversation for the end of the podcast from time to time, and this is one of those times to time. Uh mandarin the restaurant yeah uh sometimes oh you know what shoot did i have a different name for them at some point it was like restaurant review restaurant it's a word that means talk i can't remember but um uh, the missus and I so infrequently go out to dinner, uh, especially to uh, uh, places that I could review, such as this. Like, I, I don't know if I would review a fast food place, like a like a Doughboys, for example. Uh, however, it's probably been, if I had to guess, five plus years since we've been to a Mandarin. If you're unfamiliar, I, I don't know. I know it's a chain, but I don't know if it's a, a chain all over the place. It's a, a Chinese food buffet. Yeah, period. Full stop. That's what it is. Um, and the reason we did it actually, like, uh, we sort of need, I don't know if we need, but we, we kind of do need, um, uh, a reason to celebrate if we're going to go out to, to dinner like this. Like we're, we're, not, uh, people who go out to dinner every single week. Uh, we've, you know, once a month, probably less than once a month, if I had to guess. It's just not something that appeals to me necessarily. Uh, the price uh, like while we're there, while we're doing it, you know, it's just the, the, the price of eating out is so much that, uh, it's always sort of in the back of my head and it, I don't want to say it ruins the experience for me, but it is part of the experience for me, the worrying of the price of eating out. So, you know, eh. uh, however, uh, the celebration involved locking in a new mo lower mortgage rate. So that took away some of it. Uh, and also the missus paid, <laughs> took me out. Uh, I got to call her sugar mama, which, uh, is enjoyful. Yes. Enjoyful. Uh, okay. So, uh, how do you go to a Chinese buffet? This is the, this is my tips and, and, and they're not original tips. Um, don't eat bread for the love of God. Don't eat big doughy things. Don't eat things that are going to fill you up. You got to goddamn get your money's worth. So you're going to want to go to the seafood. You're going to want to go to the prime rib. You're going to want to go to the, uh, when you're done, you're going to want to go to the most delectable of desserts. Yeah. Uh, the, the fanciest, fanciest assist of desserts on that note. Oh, this is sponsored by, I, I see this conversation cleanup sponsored by sailor moon cake. Anyways, as I was saying about desserts, um, uh, we went and it was apparently the Moon Festival, which is uh, some sort of uh, Chinese festival. I'm not quite sure what exactly it is. Something to do with the seasons, I think. Anyways, uh, and they had something called Moon Cake, uh, which I, I had to try. It's like this little little nugget of uh, a red bean or lotus seed paste, according to this. And I got to say, it is, I'm fairly certain the chewiest thing I have ever eaten in my entire life. <laughs> it, it was fine tasting. Uh, one thing I know from that, uh, what was that weird show I watched 
where it was like a guy who went around to dessert places. It was something salaryman. Uh, apparently a lot of Chinese desserts, and I think Japanese desserts as well, uh, or maybe it's just Asian desserts in general, um, have this red bean paste in it. And I, I, I don't know if red bean paste is always as chewy as this, but Jesus. And the other thing, it wasn't that sweet. Yeah, like uh, of the sweets that I got a goddamn plateful of, um, it was the least sweet. It, it wasn't bad tasting necessarily, but it wasn't something that I would go back for seconds of, especially because it took me an hour to eat one piece because it was so chewy. It was like a mouthful of peanut butter, but chewier than that. It was, it was insane. Like the, the missus was fucking laughing at me because I, I couldn't talk because it was so chewy. Uh, yeah. A lot of good stuff. The, the, the one we went to was in Brampton. Um, I don't want to give the exact location because, uh, it wasn't great in terms of some of the stuff, uh, particularly the prime rib was uh, a little overdone, uh, but it was still good and we had a lot of fun and, uh, joked around as we do. Uh, we sometimes we'll, we'll make games of it. Like, uh, I remember talking of our trip to the, the Royal Ontario Museum where we would pick a case and say uh, which item in the case we would take home if we could. Like, stupid little things like that. Uh, that's the trick to not only going to buffets, but having a fun marriage. Folks, we did it. Made it to the end. A long episode. I haven't done one this long in a while. Uh, it was just because of that Sliders Session 0.5 recap. I knew it was going to happen. And I knew that I loved you. Anyways... That's a, that's a weird ending. Uh, it's nice to be nice to the nice. This is the end of the show. A sincere thank you for listening. Time to plug some things and I do not mean. But. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow Jordan underscore Maywood on Twitter. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Lastly, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can email. Jordan.Maywood at gmail.com. I would like to conclude that I am not a robot and that I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Nah, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Live long and prosper